It's time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International, featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. And if you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Samuel. As we continue our look at the life of Samuel, his impact into the nation of Israel, and uh, how God used him as actually the last judge before the nation of Israel switched from a nation being governed by God to being governed by man. We remember the people came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, we want a king like all the other nations. They at this point still did not realize that God had made them uniquely different than everybody else. And so they demanded a king. So a man is what they wanted and a man is what they got. A man after man's heart. His name was Saul. Well, we remember because he did not follow what God had said, God had rejected him from being king over Israel. And we recognize that the reason why God rejected him is because Saul's heart, we find uh, in his in his in his kingly reign, was never really after the heart of God. He had always referenced God uh, as he would talk to uh, Samuel, the Lord your God. He'd never say the Lord our God. It was always the Lord your God, which indicates there was at least one step removed of him having a relationship with the Lord. And so this was a problem. Well, no matter what it seemed that God sent him out to do, he had trouble doing it the way God said to do it. And so we find that God rejected him ultimately when he didn't go and utterly wipe out the Amalekites as God had told him to do. We find that he did not do that and rather he kept the better of the livestock and all, as he said, as a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, of course, Samuel was not impressed with that. And he said to obey is greater than sacrifice. And so the bottom line was, is that, that um, he said, because you didn't do what God said to do, God's rejected you now from being king. And so now um, these words um, that Lord inspired Samuel to say to Saul concerning this greatly troubled Saul. And so uh, I believe that, again, as Saul remembers back when he anointed Saul to be king over Israel, God is the one that picked the man. It wasn't Samuel. But Samuel, I believe, felt a responsibility in putting this man over the nation of Israel uh, because we find that he mourned as we get into chapter 16. So before we read, let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We had asked you now that as we had spend this time in study, that you would, God, cause our hearts to understand the beautiful relationship that we have with you. Forgiven in Christ Jesus, walking in your spirit, and God, that we would do things that would be pleasing to you. And so, Lord, as we would spend this time reading together, may your Holy Spirit guide our thoughts, guide our words, God, as we leave this place, that we would be people called by your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we find in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, 
I am sending you to Jesse, a Bethel, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now, this is interesting to me because uh, he is saying, how long will you mourn for this man Saul? Uh, again, I, I think that um, Samuel, no doubt, had great anticipation of what would happen in, in uh, Saul's life, being the first king of Israel. And I believe that as he watched continually over and over again, Saul not doing what God had said to do, uh, I think the disappointment in Saul, uh, or maybe uh, uh, in Samuel's eyes, uh, the disappointment in Saul, seeing that he was not going to be that leader that God had called, I'm sure that he took part of it personally. And so Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, this is interesting because here we find that God is telling Samuel, go, but don't completely disclose what you're going to do. Now, some people might say this is wrong because it is a, it is a veiled deception. But on the other hand, Saul was the one that chose to be deceived. Saul is the one, uh, by the way, that Samuel was scared of. He says, if he hears of it, he'll kill me. Now, this is interesting because at this particular point, now Samuel realizes just how really messed up Saul is, that once this man who anointed him to be king over Israel, now he's fearful that this same man that he anointed would now try to kill him. Well, those fears were not without merit because as we read on in Saul's life, we're going to find where Saul did, in fact, kill a lot of the priests. So this is something that was very um, plausible, you might say, in Saul's life to do because he was filled with himself. And so he says, I've, you just say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse into this, to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one I name you. Now, this is a little interesting to me because I see a lot of modern day Christianity in this particular verse and here's why. God gave Samuel such explicit directions on what he was to do concerning uh, Jesse the Benjamin, uh, the, from Bethlehem, the Bethlehemite. And he could have just said, go to Jesse's house, anoint David the king. But he didn't do that. And I think this is interesting to me because whether you're Samuel or whether you're you or me, I believe God gives us instructions as he wills. In other words, so we're continually dependent upon the Lord for instruction. Friends, God could have told Samuel very clearly who it was that he was to go anoint, but he didn't do that. He gave him only enough information to keep Samuel coming back for more. I think that's important. Because if you think about it in your own life, we oftentimes say, well, God, I've accepted you as Savior. Now tell me everything that's going to happen in my life. And it'd be like, okay, God would just, you know, uh, rip you off a teletext or something. Say, okay, here's the map of your life. Okay, God, thanks. I'll see you next uh, lifetime. But you know, it's funny, whether you're Samuel or whether you're you, God only gives us enough information that we need one day at a time. It's interesting when Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Most of you are very familiar with that prayer. But one of the things, as we look at the basic blueprint of the Lord's Prayer, one of the things it says there, give us this day our daily bread. That tells me the prayer of the 
ingredients, you might say, in the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the the disciples' prayer. But we find in that ingredient there that really it is a prayer or a relationship on a daily basis with God, not something that happened 30 years ago in a church or something that happened even last week. It's something that God wants to see daily in our lives. And so it tells me whether you're Samuel, who had this divine, almost... uh, pinpoint accuracy of what he was to do, still God will withhold things from him to keep him coming back on a daily basis. Friends, don't think God doesn't love you because he doesn't give you the whole plan of your life at once. A lot of times we get frustrated with God as we live with God day to day because we don't know the future, the anticipation and the anxiety that then oftentimes follows. We remember studying on Sunday night. That what causes sometimes anxiety is to not know the answer to something. And it says how and what a blessing it is when somebody comes along and gives that message that takes away the anxiety in a person's life. Now, he says, God's giving him these uh, explicit directions. And he says, uh, anoint for me the one that I will name to you. Now, let me ask you a question. And this is why this is important. Do you think that God did not know David's name? Well, you know, when Jesse goes there, I'll I'll run the video camera in and I'll check him out too and I'll I'll make a selection when he gets there. I don't think so. I think God knew all along David was going to be the next king of Israel. He knew that Saul was going to be a failure. And he knew all those things. But the thing is, again, it is for our benefit that God keeps us coming back to him. Friends, you think about it a minute. When, our, when we recognize our need in our life for something, whatever it might be, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a relationship issue, whatever it might be, how we seek the Lord, how we pray and how we cry out to God. And when things are going well, generally speaking, well, God, thanks for the blessings and I'll see you when I have a problem. And we leave. And so God, I think, does this to show us our dependency upon him. And I think it's important, friends, because a lot of times we think the people in the Old Testament were, were, we might say, super spiritual, and we find that they go through the very same things that you and me go through. And that is that we don't always have a complete and full revelation of what God's called us to do. And this is what we call walking by faith. In other words, he says, okay, God, I've got the instructions to this point. When I get to this point, then tell me what next I must do. Now, there's a lot of people who refuse to walk in faith. And they'll say something like this. Well, God, until I know exactly what you're doing, I'm not going to do nothing. And I believe those people never really see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their life. And I, and, and, and I, I believe that, again, people have asked me sometimes, well, where did you get the vision for CSN? And how did you? I didn't. All I did was try to be as faithful as I could with what God had told me to do. And then God would add the next step. God would add the people. God would do those things. And so when my friend Paul died in an airplane crash on his way to Bullhead City, Arizona, and his wife called me and said, Paul got killed. Uh, and uh, they, uh, his widow received a, quite a large uh, settlement from, from the company. There was something wrong with the plane. And, and so she tithed off of that airplane crash. And she gave us, and I remember talking with Paul when he was alive, and, and we always talked, and he said, you know what I'd love to do is I'd love to just start a Christian radio station so we could tell people about the Lord. And so I went to his widow, and I said, would that be all right with you if we use that money to start a Christian radio station? She says, I think that's what Paul would like you to have done. 
And so we started KAWZ, a little 3,000-watt station on the top of the old radio rendezvous downtown. And it went about as far as Jerome, maybe a little bit farther than that. And I remember thinking that was the neatest thing. It was magic. And I remember driving around almost in tears because of just what it did and how it worked and all those things. And then uh, we realized that we could do a power upgrade, so we moved it out to the Jerome Butte and raised the power to 11,500 watts because that's as powerful as the transmitter would go. And then we began to look and understand that we could file for translators. So we started filing for them in Sun Valley and Boise, and uh, we filed for a full power up in Boise. And uh, we, were, we were on our way. But you know, if somebody would have said, you're going to go from here to here, I would have never believed them. Because I, 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 my faith had not developed to that level. All I could do was walk one step at a time, starting off with what God gave me and going from there. And friends, again, uh, KWZ is very, very much a, a close thing to my heart because I believe it reaches people behind locked doors and uh, in, in troubled homes and in people that are suicide in their cars and all those things. I, I think it does a great thing. But, but it cost my friend his life to build that. And, and that's why it means a lot to me. Because, see, if he hadn't died in the airplane crash, his wife wouldn't have had the money in the insurance settlement that she tied to the church in which we went ahead and began uh, CSN. It would have never happened. And so you look at sometimes things and you think, well, God, unless I know the whole plan for my life, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, move out of my comfort zone. And we find that God here says, listen, Samuel, when you get there, I'll give you the rest of what you're supposed to do. And maybe some of you tonight, maybe the Lord is challenging you to step out in faith a little bit. And we're saying, well, God, you know, not until I get the whole picture. Am I going to move? Well, we find here. So Samuel ran away and didn't do it. No, (laughs) that isn't what it says, is it? Notice what it says. So Samuel did what the Lord had said. What a contrast to Saul. Remember, as we read last week, Saul did not do what God had commanded him to do. So you find now Samuel doing what God called him to do, and notice the result. Went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, saying, Do you come peaceably? Now, why do you think they said that? Here's a prophet of God coming, and they had seen previously what Samuel had done. Remember when they demanded a king, and we remember that Samuel chewed him out because they not rejected um, Samuel from being actually over them, but God said they rejected him. We remember Samuel uh, basically rebuked them. It was harvest time, and he, and, he, and he called for the winds, and they came, and a hailstorm came through and wiped out their wheat harvest. And so here comes Samuel, and they're going, oh, no. Do you come peaceably? Perhaps maybe because of some of the crazy things Saul had been doing. Why are you here? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So set yourselves apart and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he set apart Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at Elab. This is one of Jesse's sons and said, surely the Lord anointed uh, is anointed is before him. So in other words, surely he'd be uh, one that would be uh, anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his height, stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as men see. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
You know, friends, that's one of the most incredible verses that, that we find in the Scripture, and we find it substantiated all the way through the Bible, that God looks at the heart. God knows the intent of what you do and the reason why you do it. I think heaven is going to be an interesting place. I think a lot of people that maybe you didn't think were very spiritual here on this earth, I think you're going to find that maybe they are going to get some pretty big rewards because their heart was right before God. And I think a lot of people that think that they are spiritual, I don't know if they're going to have much reward if even they make it. I'm not the judge. But the Bible says that everything that we've ever done will be tried by fire and the wood and the hay and the stubble will be burned up. But those things which are precious of gold and precious jewels, um, those will remain. And that means those things which were done with the right motive will remain. God saw something different in this man than maybe Samuel did. Or maybe even his own father, Jesse, did. And he said, God doesn't look at things the way you do. Now, this tells me a couple things. First of all, how important is it to then get God's perspective of life? If God is looking at this life and people differently than we in the natural would do so, then how do we need to look at how people are? Well, how do you do that? How do you get God's sunglasses, S-O-N glasses, on so you see life in God's viewpoint rather than your own? I believe we see it through the Spirit. I believe it comes through a relationship with God in His Word. And I believe that's why we look at life differently than people who are not Christians. See, we as Christians, believe it or not, friends, you look at life a whole lot differently than the person that's not born again. And that's part of becoming born again is the Spirit of God comes alive inside of you and changes every aspect of your personality and every aspect of your eternity. Now, again, when people apart from Christ see life, what is their philosophy of life? There's basically two. We find them talked about there in the book of Acts. They're at Mars Hill. It is, if it feels good, do it. That's the Epicurean philosophy or the Stoic philosophy. The Stoic philosophy is be cool. And those two philosophies pretty much dictate the mindset of the world. Go for the gusto, get as much as you can. He with the most toys when he dies wins. That's all Epicurean uh, philosophy. Stoic philosophy is the Fonzie, you know, be cool. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. You can't change destiny. That's all Stoic philosophy. So whatever happens in this life, you don't really have much control over anyway. If a train is going to hit you, the only thing you can change is the way you feel about being hit by the train. (laughs) Kind of weird ideas, isn't it? Well, when you become a Christian, you realize that this life is determining your position in eternity. And it isn't when you die, it's all over. But when you die, it's the beginning of eternity. And so Christians, when we become a a follower of Christ, we have a different value system, we have a different way that we live, and we have a different thing that that defines life. And this is part of becoming born again. A lot of people say, uh, when you become born again, what changes? And and, and really, it's defining life your way and and having life defined God's way. That's why what we call repentance. We turn 180 degrees from what we value and think life is, and we begin to receive what God has and determines that. And by the way, friends, that's something that God does our entire life. Though we're born again the minute that we ask Christ in our life, there's a lot of junk that we work out of our lives over the period of a lifetime. Isn't it true? And so we're all in a, a continual state of learning. But it's important because, you see... 
oftentimes we judge on the outward appearance of things. This is why I believe Proverbs is so important as it, as it goes through and tells you, and this is what a lot of wisdom is, godly wisdom, that, that says, be careful, don't be involved in gossip, don't, only a fool believes one side of a story, all these things that are in the Bible. Don't go in business with a non-believer. Uh, don't be a co-signer for anyone. And, and, and we think, well, you know, I want to be a good brother, so I guess I'll go ahead and co-sign for this person. Solomon says, why should they take your bed when they can't pay? And people say, well, they were a brother. Well, you know something? If they don't have it, maybe God doesn't want them to have it. Maybe God's calling them to the mission field. And that'll just be one more thing in their life that they have to get rid of. I don't know, but the Bible doesn't lie. And so when we have all this thing, we need to see life from God's perspective. How do you view people? Are they, are they a nuisance to you or are they a potential candidate for eternity with Christ Jesus? See, I think these are things we have to look at. Maybe the person that's bugging you the most is the very person in which God wants you to minister to. See, we have to have the Holy Spirit's eyes or we will see things wrong. God does not see man the way we do. And friends, if there's anything else that you don't, maybe you don't get anything else out of tonight, remember that. God sees us differently than we see ourselves. And all the way through the scripture, you'll find that. Remember Gideon hiding from the Midianites, down in a hole, thrashing wheat. And I imagine that's got to be one of the most horrible jobs in the world because you're completely reliant upon the wind to blow the chaff away. Well, if you're down in a wine press in a hole, uh, like a cistern, and you're down in this hole and you're trying to throw the wheat up in the air because you're hiding because you don't want your enemy to know you have wheat, and he's down there throwing this up in the air, and instead of it blowing away, there's no wind in a hole. Where does it go? It comes back down on you and in your eyes and in your nose and in your mouth and makes you itch. Now, I can handle that stuff in my eyes, but making me itch, something I don't like. And an angel appears and says, thou mighty man of valor. Say, what? You, you got the wrong hole here. This, 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 what do you mean, mighty man of valor? I'm hiding from the Midianites. I'm down in a stinkingest job in the world. And, it got, and this angel has the audacity to say, thou mighty man of valor. You know what that tells me? It tells me God sees us a whole lot different than we see ourselves. So again, get God's viewpoint of your life. We find that here. This guy good looking comes along. What was the last mistake concerning Saul? The Bible says Saul was a really good looking guy, head and shoulders above everybody else. And yet we see what kind of a leader he really was. So it says again, For the Lord does not see man as man sees For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shemaiah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Now, I don't know how he knew. But there's just sometimes things you know that you know. And he knew that it wasn't any of these guys. I don't know whether they were like looking at life in black and white and he was looking for one that was in color or what it was, but there's an unction that you know. And you know, that a lot of times we hear about that bearing witness in the spirit. Have you ever heard that terminology and it's woo-woo kind of thing? But actually it's true. 
And there is that bearing witness in the Spirit. And I've, I've witnessed to people before and, and uh, they'll say that they're a Christian and there's something in my spirit that says there's something wrong here. They're not. And as I continue to talk to them, I find that even though they say they were a Christian, they didn't embrace Jesus Christ being Lord. And there was something wrong in their theology and it shows up as they, as they continue going. I've had other people sometimes I wasn't real sure about, but the Lord said they're a brother in the Lord or, or, or sister in the Lord. And there's a peace there. And maybe sometimes, maybe they don't always cross their T's right and dot their I's, but you know that they've received Christ as their Savior and there's a kindred spirit there. You, you, this is what it's talking about. For some reason, Samuel knew that this wasn't right. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of its time by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.